Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman. Time for another foray into, uh, let's just say it's another foray into my mind regarding aquariums and aquarium keeping and the little specialty niches that we like to play in. Now, today I want to talk about something that uh, is, is fairly common and you've probably thought about it yourself and we get a lot of questions about this. And uh, I can give you a straightforward answer. A big question I get is, how many leaves does it take to tint my water? And like, here's my hint on this. We're effing clueless. Um, really, my most common response is I have no idea. Now, that's pretty much not the response you'd expect from someone who curates, obsesses over, and sells leaves for a living. I get you. But here's the thing. There's a ton of variables, such as the composition of your water, the size of your aquarium, the water movement, where you incorporate them in your system. Uh, in other words, in the filter chamber, canister, reactor, or even in the display itself. And whether or not you utilize some form of chemical filtration, like activated carbon, etc. And exactly what your goal is for using them in your aquarium, just to name a very few. Leaves are tricky little bastards when it comes to how many. They really are. I can tell you as a sweeping generality... You know, that it takes me at least uh, two to four ounces of Texas live oak leaves or yellow mangrove leaves or a dozen or more guava and jackfruit leaves to get a decent level of tint in an aquarium of, say, 30 to 50 U.S. gallons when simply placed in the tank. Catopolis, well, maybe it only takes 10 to 12 medium-sized leaves to do that job in my tank. Now, notice I said the word in my tank. (laughs) And notice I don't ever on the website give anything more than just like a starting recommendation. And the most generic rep, you know, recommendation that I will give you is start slowly, add a few leaves. Because everybody's water characteristics are different. Sure, you can use RODI water and have essentially laboratory or near laboratory grade purity with no carbonate hardness and no impurities and so forth. And there's a relatively predictable set of characteristics, I suppose, at a given temperature you might get for how many leaves will have such and such an impact, or at least approximately. But again, there's so many variables. Um, there's the the amount of tannins in the specific leaf, and I don't mean the type of leaf, the actual leaf that you're collecting. When was it collected? From what location? Under what soil conditions? Under what weather conditions was it dried and prepared? Was it boiled, steeped, or just added You know, fresh? Um, you know, was this leaf sitting around a long time? There's so many variables that I can't even begin to quantify that it really kind of ticks me off. And, you know, I've said this many, many times when I see, you know, guys selling leaves on eBay or, you know, bag of leaves or whatever. And, you know, again, I, I, I get it. It's, you know, business, these people, everybody wants to make money doing their own thing, but I think it's downright irresponsible to just sell leaves and say, yeah, if I had five per gallon, uh, and you'll get, you know, that just they won't even tell you what result you're going to get they'll just say you add five leaves per gallon what does that mean how do we arrive at that the the thing that we have to realize is that there's some characteristics about leaves that we know for example guava jackfruit and maybe some of the other leaves that we play with here tend to impart a less significant color a tint a visual tint to the water in our experience maybe almost a yellow gold color versus a a brown color so maybe to get that look that you want you might need to use more of them in conjunction perhaps with katapa or some other leaves to get that cool effect there's an art to this as much as there is a science uh it's also the reason why you see me sort of questioning and not not necessarily tearing apart but questioning these so-called black water extract products what is the concentration of that and how do they know that 
dosing five drops per gallon or, or whatever it is is going to get you a certain combin, uh, you know, concentration in such a wide variety of aquariums. It's it's really, I don't think it's the best practice for us or for anyone to recommend X amount of leaves per gallon. We sell a certain amount so that you have the option to say, I want to put one leaf in or 20 leaves in. Believe me, it might take only a half of a catapa leaf to get a tint in a three-gallon beta tank, and or it might take more. It could have te- potentially detrimental effects because it's a you know relative to the body of water, it's adding a significant bio load. It's uh, potentially in in a, in a water with very little carbonate hardness. Potentially, it's dropping the pH too much for the occupants of the tank. There's just a lot of different factors and variables that that you know that take place when you add botanical materials, specifically leaves, to your water. So it would be irresponsible for me to really go on and on with specific recommendations other than this is what worked for us, start with this, and see where it takes you. You have to test, you have to tweak. It's not plug and play. It just isn't. And if you're looking for plug and play, I suggest honestly that perhaps you entertain another little niche in the aquarium hobby. This is sort of an art. And that pH thing that we hear so much about, well... I personally am starting with reverse osmosis deionized water with essentially no carbonate hardness, and I guess you'd call it a very flexible or malleable pH. Uh, Not only in this case do the botanicals influence the color, like they would in a lot of water, but they actually do have some influence on the pH under these circumstances. Simply adding some catapa or some other leaves to your hard alkaline tap water is going to have little to no effect other than to impart some color and maybe increase your TDS. I mean, sure, you're putting tannins in the water, but their ability to impact water chemistry in terms of pH, is probably quite limited because of the carbonate hardness in the water. You know, tannins, you know, which are the substances that tint the water, provide the color, they can't overcome the calcium and the magnesium ions and drive down the pH significantly in water with high levels of these carbonate hardness materials present. It's simply putting more materials into the water, which may be detectable as TDS, uh, with TDS meters and aquariums, but it's not lowering the pH. And that's just this big fallacy that goes on or that has permeated our hobby for a while when it comes to using leaves and so forth in the aquarium that, you know, you add a few of this, a couple of that, and suddenly you've got instant Amazon. Remember, there's multiple factors in play and multiple goals you might have for adding leaves to your tank. If it's just about the aesthetics of having leaves in the tank and you want some clear water, throw in some activated carbon in your filter, call it a day. If you're all about a deeply tinted, low pH environment, you need to eliminate activated carbon. You need to employ, you know, reverse osmosis deionized water or water with little to no carbonate hardness and likely use quite a bit more of these materials than I'm talking about here. To get your water into a really low pH situation, you know, below five or something like that, you either have to utilize specific careful acid solu- carefully administered acid solutions or eliminate you know, substrate that has any ability to buffer the water. There's a lot of experimentation there. I am not an expert in low, low pH management of aquariums. I don't pretend to be. Uh, there's material from very experienced people that have played with that and gone that route. And if you're into it, more power to you. I just know that for most of us in the sort of the arena that we play in, I'm content to have a 6.5 pH or, or 6.3 pH and call it a day. But some people want to go different. You have to experiment. There's just no recipe out there that can give you those instant Amazon conditions by adding a little of this or a little of that and lowering the pH, no matter what so-called experts or people that know what they're doing tell you. There just isn't, period. I'll be the first to tell you that. 
I'll say it again. Our leaves, our botanicals, the things we offer cannot influence the, the pH of the water on a substantial basis in its well-managed aquarium with hard alkaline water. It's typically not going to happen. Um, sure, you might get the anomalous drop of a, a point or two in a pH for whatever reason, um, but you're not talking about the ability to manipulate at scale, you know, large quantities of water. Now, I could talk till the cows come home about how much this and that I use in my tank, but I may have a combination of factors that's vastly different from the environment in your own aquarium. Sure, you can get a general idea, but your results are going to vary. It's simple as that. Every tank is different. And I think it's more about understanding the general practices involved versus how many or how much of whatever to use. It's not about a recipe. You know, in my display tank in my home, I use a combination of yellow mangrove and Texas live oak with a bunch of Borneo catapa bark and some oak twigs. It gets a nice deep color. And I also have a pH of around 6.5 and no detectable carbonate hardness. My TDS is around 6, which is interesting, but I suppose that's because there's stuff in the water. Uh, you know, TDS is a measure of material in the water, not, not necessarily a measurement of your alkalinity. I mean, you could say some of the components it picks up are contribute to alkalinity and, and carbonate hardness, but it's not specifically a measurement of carbonate hardness. Uh, it's a nice yardstick and a barometer, I suppose. Oh, and I use a hardscape comprised of, you know, maybe a certain type of wood, which when fresh imparts, you know, hella tint to the water. You know, in fact, I, wood in general, if you're really just interested in getting color, as we all know, wood is sort of a, God, I hate to use this word, a hack. I mean, people can use this to get a nice tint without a whole lot of effort. And we've known this for decades, as you see, you know, planted aquarium and aquascaping forums just filled with, you know, these these frantic requests from hobbyists that put a cool piece of wood in their, you know, their nature aquarium. And they're like, when is the tint going to go away? I can't handle the tenons anymore which I always get a vicarious laugh out of. I know that's just mean, but that's me. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the, that's an easy way to, to, to overcome this if you're just looking for the visuals. Oh, back to the subject of chemical filtration in blackwater tanks for a bit. We've talked on this a billion times, I know. Um, I've touched on the issue of chemical filtrations and its impact at removing the tint and the tannins associated with our leaves and botanicals. It's entirely possible to minimize or render the pH lowering uh, capacity of tannins, you know, to a minimal amount by using activated carbon, purigen, or other chemical filtration media. Tannins are rather weak acids, yet they can lower the pH of the water when there's less buffer in the system, i.e. lower general or carbonate hardness. Just how much tannins can lower a pH in a given system depends on how much buffering capacity the water has, and that's just one factor, as we've talked about. With harder water, i.e. water with greater buffering capacity, you can have the tinted water look from leaves and wood, but without the likely without the pH-reducing effects, particularly if the tannic acids are absorbed by the aforementioned chemical filtration media. Makes sense, right? So in other words, you can have the aesthetics of black water while running your aquarium at a higher pH if your hardness is sufficient. Once you remove the tannins in a lower hardness system, your pH should rise too since you're removing the acids. Whoa, head spinning time, I know. Bottom line is this. You can use chemical filtration media in what we call tinted tanks. You can use it full time. I do. However, depending upon the amount of media, the quality, quality and quantity of the tannin producing items, such as leaves and botanicals, etc., and the capacity of the aquarium and perhaps even the substrate, the impact will be variable. I run, you know, chemical filtration media like Purigen and activated carbon in my tanks all the time and polyfilter, which is a great adsorbent material I love. And I still have a nice tint and a pH that's relatively stable. 
Now it's a fine line between too much and too little, and you'll simply have to experiment to find out what works best for you. Again, it's not a perfect science. There is a science behind it, and I encourage you to research this and talk to people that are really educated in water chemistry. It's, a, it's really an interesting thing when we apply it practically. I admit my head starts spinning, which is why you don't see me proffering detailed chemical you know, recommendations or regurgitating things that I really don't understand. Uh, I'm a hobbyist. I have a, some background in biology, but I'm certainly no chemist, so I'm not going to tell you X amount does this. I attribute my relatively stable, soft, mildly acidic conditions in most of my tanks to the use of RODI to pretreat my tap water. And again, RODI units are probably a bit pricey at first, but in my opinion, they're an essential piece of equipment and a very wise investment for the aspiring blackwater botanical style aquarist. They just are. Again, at the risk of sounding like the proverbial broken record, botanicals and leaves will not soften your water. It's probably the most misunderstood thing of all about botanicals. I think it is. I think it's easy to see how this one got started and tends to hang around a bit. Most botanical materials contain tannins and humic substances, which can drive down the pH in water with little to no carbonate hardness, as we just said above for the 8,000th time. And of course, the tinted, soft, acidic water in many natural habitats has an abundance of leaves and botanicals present. So I think this gave a lot of hobbyists the impression that you could simply throw some of these materials into your tap water and boom, Rio Negro. And as we know, this can only be accomplished with reverse osmosis or ion exchange, a process in which calcium and magnesium ions are exchanged for sodium and potassium ions. So reverse osmosis is a water treatment process which relies on a membrane which has pores large enough to admit water molecules, yet the hardness ions such as uh, calcium and magnesium remain behind and are flushed away by excess water. So the resulting product water is thus called soft water, free of the hardness ions without any other ions being added. So my, thing, my thinking to you is just get an RODI unit and be done with it. You don't have to know all the exotic chemistry as you at least familiarize yourself with the process or how it works. And it, you know what's neat is that it's now widely accepted by science that humic substances like those present in botanicals and leaves are thought to have a wide range of health benefits for all types of fishes and and all types of habitats. We've covered this before, and the implications for the hobby and industry are are quite profound in my opinion. Now, although, you know, leaves and so forth and humic substances and tannins are not the cure-all that many vendors have touted them as, you know, oh, they'll treat fungal diseases and blah, blah, blah. There have been studies that have shown that extract of some of these things in specific quantities administered in a specific way in a lab condition has had some measurable impact on fish disease. Excuse me. <clears throat> so it's possible. There are, uh, you know, these do contain a wide range of substances which can have a significant impact on fish health. So that's important. Uh, there is some science there and there's ongoing science. And then there's the practical experimentation that we as aquarists do. Are you noticing better colors? Are you noticing better health? Are you noticing better overall water conditions in your tank? Or is it problematic? Those are all things that we work out as we go. It's the beauty of a niche like this that we're really bringing to light. People say a lot of a lot of people say, you know, it's great what you're doing, Scott. I really, you know, you're, you're, you've you've you know reinvented Blackwater. I have not reinvented Blackwater. No one invented this process or this niche in the hobby. I found something that fascinated me. I scratched my own itch. I said, how can we get materials that work with? I like the natural materials. That's what tannin is about. Um, no one has invented this process. No one knows all the answers. And it's an ongoing, active thing that we're all playing with. To a certain extent, it's a little bit of an experiment. 
And believe me, when there were some nervous days when I first started tenon because I was worried about unleashing all this stuff and, you know, on the on the hobby as if, you know, as if it was just, you know, the, the cure-all for everything, which is, of course, the approach I did not take. And um, that's one thing I'm very proud of. We've seen very few disasters. Um, and most of the time they were caused by people being a little bit overzealous and not following it. The very minimum, our rec- you know, our recommendations about how fast and how much to go with and just quite honestly, common sense. You may have disasters once in a while. That happens. That's part of the experimental process. So Blackwater botanical style aquariums in this, with all this new attention they're getting are still sort of experimental. They're still sort of fringe to a lot of people. There's a lot we don't understand. There's a lot we do understand. There's a lot we have to get used to. We've talked so many times about the aesthetics and about the biofilms and the decomposition and all this stuff. It's very different than any other type of aquarium that you've ever kept. Yet, there's something that makes sense about the whole thing. And of course, that inevitably brings up the next question, which I know we've covered many times. In fact, quite recently, how often do you need to replace your leaves and botanicals? It's another great question where there's really no rule. The reality is that you could simply add new leaves on a regular basis, so you'll always be making up for the ones that have decomposed. Some hobbyists like to remove the decomposed leaves. They like the pristine look. Some people like to leave them, like me, like to leave them in until they're essentially mineralized. It boils down to aesthetics, really. This tinted world that we play in with its cool aesthetics and probably confounding chemistry and an abundance of assumptions and aquarium urban hobby myths is really something, isn't it? I mean, you just read, um, you know, many of my articles and you've just heard me mention, you know, in 2,000 or so words telling you that there's no single way to achieve your goal, which is not exactly earth shattering, but it's entirely symbolic of this fascinating world that we live in. There's no one single answer. There's no one size fits all, which I think is actually kind of fun and kind of exciting. I love the fact that every aquarium is unique and every solution that we develop, although may find its way into the larger practice of botanical style aquarium keeping that we proffer here is still a unique solution that we've developed on our own, i.e. we, the individual hobbyist. And that leaves a great deal of room for experimentation, interpretation, and, you know, evolving this state of the art. And I think that's why I encourage you so much to be bold, to experiment and find your own path. We'll give you some guidelines. We'll give you the most honest information we have on what's worked and what hasn't. I've told you the things that have failed for us. Many of our hobbyists uh, that in our community have shared their successes and failures. I tried a lot of things that looked horrible, quite frankly, and didn't result in good results for both the aquarium water chemistry or for the fishes. I've killed fishes. I absolutely failed miserably by experimenting, uh, doing things that... I knew better, but I figured I need to run these conditions because if I'm going to unleash this material on the world, I want to at least say, yeah, I've seen the very worst and the very best of this. It's a responsible thing to do. Um, It's not always pretty, but that's what experimental aquariums are all about. That's what botanical aquariums are all about. There's some variables that nature controls and we just don't have total control of. What we can control is how much we start with, the pace that we administer, you know, the leaves or botanicals into our aquariums at and what steps we take after we see results happening in the aquarium. You know, monitor your aquarium carefully. Look at the water chemistry. If you're a beginner with that little beta in the tank, don't dump every leaf in the pack that we send you into the aquarium from day one. Follow our instructions, read the articles, think through what you're doing. If you're trying to manipulate an environment, you have to understand that things that you add into a closed aquatic environment are going to affect that environment, whether it's positive or negative, is largely up to the action that you take. 
So yeah, there's a great deal of responsibility that we all have. I could tell you what works for me. 20 other hobbyists can tell you what works for them. There might be a direct contradiction or it might be, hey, there's a commonality here. Most of us start slowly at only a few leaves at a time. When we start seeing this, we do that, etc. That's the beauty of having a community here. And that's why I encourage you all to share your successes, your failures, your questions, your concerns. Um, but don't make blanket statements. Don't, I, 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 nothing, and I suppose it angers you, but nothing pisses me off more when somebody says, oh, uh, you need to add so many of this to the water to get this effect, or everyone knows that you can do, no, no, nobody does know. We don't know yet. We just don't. I've read entire scientific papers on these natural ecosystems that they're still, con- they're still trying to figure out how the water the pH is so low in some of these leaf litter beds. They're thinking about fermentation and other processes that we haven't even examined as aquarists yet. So for people to make blanket statements based on regurgitated stuff, even if it's mine, it's irresponsible. Let's have fun. Let's experiment. Again, be bold. Be open-minded. Share. Stay curious. Stay diligent in all this stuff. Keep your eyes on the prize. What you know? See what you want to do. Stay engaged with the community that we have here. Stay skeptical, even of stuff that I say, of stuff that anybody says. If you have a hunch, play it. Stay excited about this stuff because it is such a unique opportunity to learn more about the natural environment that our fishes come from and to to see if we can enhance the lives of our fishes, to see if we can get them to reproduce, thrive as never before, to experience new behaviors. These are really important things. Stay excited, please. And stay open-minded. Stay open-minded to the new looks, the new ideas, the concepts that maybe you've laughed at before. That's how we advance in the hobby. And most importantly, stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to hearing your comments, your feedback, and seeing the cool experiments that you play with. Thanks again. Bye.